This is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air! Deep to right! It is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Sox fans' single game tickets are on sale right now. Be here for opening day on March 28th at 3.10 p.m. Don't miss out on the season's biggest matchups, plus exciting new promotions and theme nights all summer long. For more information and to secure your tickets, visit WhiteSox.com today. We got a lot of show to get through in just an hour here. Spring training is underway. Well, pitchers and catchers have reported, and the first full squad is in just a couple of days, but I'm calling it. We have begun spring training. Got a little while until the start of Cactus League play, and we'll get to see games and you know all the new players the White Sox have brought into the roster in action for the first time. But the 2024 season is, one way or another, started, and that feels good. It's good to have baseball back. We have plenty of news to get through as well. We, more minor league signings for the White Sox. Earlier this week, like Monday, Chris Getz addressed the media prior to the start of camp. We'll tell you what the GM had to say and a couple of different things. Manager Pedro Grafal has spoken. We got some updates on old friends, near misses perhaps on a free agent, a report on the potential new stadium, and... Some news from the desk of the commissioner. Some of the uh, some of the things a little bit more theoretical, some a little bit more far off, and some uh, done deals. So let's start with that brand of White Sox news, shall we? The White Sox, uh, late in the week, announced a couple of minor league signings. And we'll start on the position player side first. The White Sox announced that they signed Mike Moustakis to a minor league deal. You know Mike Moustakis, played in the division for a while, won a World Series with the Royals, former teammate of Chris Getz. While he was in Kansas City, Moustakis broke in in 2011, played third for the most part for those Royals all the way up to the uh, 2018 season, I guess is when he got traded to the Brewers, a couple years with the Reds. Rockies and Angels last season in 2023. His numbers were pretty good for the Rockies. His numbers were not great for the Angels in 65 games. The Angels made all those moves to try and supplement what was a a, a very slim wild card chance with Shohei Otani in his last season in Anaheim. Lucas Giolito and Renato Lopez and Mike Moustakis and, and a lot more. Um, the Angels leveraged a lot to try and push in, and Moustakis was one of those pieces. All told, we'll deal with OPS Plus just for the simplicity of things in 2023. All told, an OPS Plus of 105 in Colorado and 68 in Anaheim makes it an 81 overall, an 81 OPS Plus overall for Mike Moustakis. He's got some thump. He has hit. Over 25 home runs in four different seasons. Pardon, five different seasons. He had 35 bombs in 2019 with the Super Bouncy Ball while he was a member of the Brewers. And Moustakis' career has been an interesting one, I think, in that it reflects part of the rules changes in Major League Baseball. Moustakis, when he signed with the Reds in 2020, made the All-Star team the year before with Milwaukee. And I guess some in Milwaukee, too. He's playing a lot of second base, moved over from third. It's a big body dude. Mustakis goes well, listed on baseball reference at six foot two twenty five. We'll see what he looks like when we get down to camp here next week. But Mustakis doesn't have a, a whole ton of range, and that never did at second base. 
And with the shift before it was banned in 2023, both the Milwaukee defense and the Reds defense for a couple of years at the Great American Ballpark there in Cincinnati was able to to shift things around and kind of hide a less rangy second baseman because of the ability to shift the infield. A lot of teams uh, started grabbing onto that philosophy, and it made a lot more second basemen out of bigger infielders, guys who uh, had to move off a of third base. Maybe if you're a young prospect, or um, you know, if you're just looking to get more thump in the lineup and not having to worry about the kind of defense that you now have to play at second base. So now that the shift has been banned, if you look through his 2023 defensive stats for Mustakis, you'll see that both with the Rockies and Angels, he only played first, third, or DH'd for either team. In fact, the last time he'd played any second base at all was in 2021 with the Cincinnati Reds. What's interesting about Mike Moustakis as well is that while his you know playing in his he'll be playing in his age 35 season, he hits left and throws right. This is it looks to me like a minor league free agent signing that is going to make Gavin Sheets. And any other left-handed bat that's got some corner versatility or needs the DH spot every now and again uh, in order to force his way into the lineup, um, that's that's gonna it's competition for it is what it is. According to a report from Bob Nightingale, uh, and this was just a couple of days ago, the White Sox have announced the signing, so it is there. It is a non-roster invitee deal for Mike Moustakis, a minor league deal. He is a Boris client. If he makes the opening day roster, it'll be $2 million for Moustakis, and I would imagine an incentive or two in place in that deal, though that's not been reported. I'm just speculating there. Usually when you get veterans of this kind of you know, particular length in Major League Baseball, Moustakis has put in his time, right, his total service time is over 12 years. You've got an incentive or two, but that's you know that's really neither here nor there. $2 million is the effective number for Mike Moustakis, and that's not going to keep him on or off of the roster one way or another. That's a, it's not all that much money. You would guess that the infield, as it sits, is still from left to right, Yoan Moncada, Paul DeYoung, Nicky Lopez, and Andrew Vaughn with Moustakis pushing for at-bats either at third or first or DH. Obviously, in a pinch, he could play some second base for you, but you'd rather have a guy like Nicky Lopez handle that for you. And as the season goes on, any call-ups that you might have in that infield, I'm thinking about guys like Brian Ramos maybe, even though he's been playing mostly third down in the minor leagues for the White Sox over the last few years. But still, Mike Moustakis is a guy that, you know, it's – It's a continuation of a philosophy here, I think, from Chris Getz and the front office that has added pressure. And most of these ads have been in the bullpen, but this is one that's on the infield and and may indeed have a starting starting role at some point in the season. I'm not saying like opening day starter. I'm just saying it it may well be that Moustakis, if if he proves to handle right-handed pitching as well as he did last season, especially in Colorado, I mean, he may push for some time. So you might see, like, I don't know, a month or something like that where Moustakis has the hot hand and Pedro Grifol decides, well, listen, the veteran's playing well. He's giving us some thump right now. We need that in the lineup, and the lefty bat doesn't hurt either. So it could be that Mike Moustakis gets some time here. He's certainly signing because he thinks he can earn it. What the theme, though, has been, obviously, for the White Sox this season is signing veterans um, or, or trading for guys who have kind of been at that that roster age, like Nicky Lopez, 
where the Braves you know, may have let go of Nicky Lopez and cut him loose as a free agent, free to sign with whatever team. They were out of options. So the White Sox have moved for those kinds of players and asked them to show us what you got. It's been a big point of conversation with Pedro Gafol down there at Camelback Ranch over the last couple of days. He had his initial session with reporters uh, late in the week. I believe it was Thursday. And the the pressing matter here, or I guess the overall um, lift of this White Sox camp from, from Pedro's perspective has been that guys are hungry and want to compete. I don't know, you know, if you look around the diamond or if you look at the rotation or even at the bullpen, maybe even especially at the bullpen, I don't know that there are that many roles that you can go, well, he's your opening day starter and ain't nothing going to change it, right? I mean, even Dylan Cease, who is right now scheduled to be the opening day starter, Chris Getz talked a lot about not trading Dylan Cease in his first press conference earlier this week, and we'll get to that in a bit. But even Dylan Cease isn't guaranteed to start opening day. It sounds like... He's going to be your opening day starter, but the market is still open. Teams are still hungry, and the Orioles have two pitchers that need some checkups from doctors, both with uh, elbow and shoulder issues for Kyle Bradish and John Means. So, you know, you never know. Teams could pounce. It might be a situation where they're looking at go ahead and add and take care of things during spring training. I I wouldn't bet that's the case. They haven't operated with a whole lot of urgency. No one really has this offseason, save the Dodgers. Um, but that's where that stands. Yoan Moncada is likely your opening day. I mean, he's going to be your opening day third baseman, right? Andrew Vaughn's got first base. We know that. I, I think Paul DeYoung and Nicky Lopez are your guys at short and second up the middle. But there's competition there for both of those spots on the roster. Luis Robert Jr. is your opening day center fielder, and Andrew Benintendi has left. Right field is a wide open competition with, I think, Dominic Fletcher probably having the leg up, given the fact that the White Sox traded for him. He's got the most major league experience of some of those, you know, of, of Zach Deloche and Dominic Fletcher and Gavin Sheets and Oscar Colas. I mean, we've talked about Sheets and Colas quite a bit. Uh, and, and the reasons they may or may not be, you know, kind of the guys to get playing time this year. You got some veterans that have been added on. Kevin Pillar figures to be a guy that makes this roster and might start opening day, but I wouldn't call him your, you know, shoot in starter necessarily. But even Martin Maldonado and Max Stassi seem ready to split a whole lot of action behind the plate. Now, I think when the season is over, and if health stays, you know, if guys stay healthy, I would imagine that Maldonado gets called on more often than Max Stassi does. And you see a lot of combinations in baseball right now. I mean, it's not like every team has an Adley Rutschman or uh, Will Smith, for instance. Um, and you see a lot of catchers kind of splitting time and working their way through and, and hoping to stay healthy and providing that kind of depth for teams. But that's your defensive alignment. That's your, that's your lineup. There aren't, you know, there are some. You know, set guys, but there's a lot of competition, especially at spots that matter, like shortstop, second base, and right field. Now, in the bullpen, I you know I think we'll be shaking up the dice all spring training long to determine who is going to get some of the leverage spots, whether or not Pedro Grafal is going to have you know your traditional closer after a few years of Liam Hendricks, who was absolutely that. Um, I, I don't. It'll be very interesting to see if he's going to throw um, maybe some of the younger players, the younger pitchers, into spots of leverage and let them test themselves a little bit. Knowing Pedro just a little bit, I would think that he's you know kind of looking for a veteran to take those first few. Maybe John Brebia is that guy. Maybe it's Jesse Chavez, who's a non-roster invitee, a 40-year-old guy who's 
seen a lot in this world. Uh, Davy Garcia had an interesting flash or two last season. He certainly looks different than a lot of arms the White Sox had last year. And, of course, there's a lot of minor league depth in that bullpen, or at least could be, with uh, Jordan Leisure probably as likely as anybody, in my mind, to be kind of the impact rookie for the White Sox this season. I mean, it's this kind of stuff that he's got is standout bullpen stuff. The delivery's pretty funky. You would think that that guy's going to be, you know, definitely a reliever. That's the scouting report on him, but the fastball is big and the slider is nasty. So perhaps he puts himself into competition for some big time leverage. Joe Barlow's been there before. Jake Cousins has has done it at a level uh, at one point, but the two guys that got added here late in the week are probably, I would guess, probably the two arms that will be leaned on the most early on to see whether or not they can bounce back, assuming health, um, to the kinds of forms they've shown at various stops throughout the bigs. The White Sox announced on Tuesday of this week that they signed right-handed relievers Corey Kniebel and Dominic Leone to minor league deals. Both are going to be in camp as non-roster invitees. So, We'll talk about how Kniebel and Leon shape the bullpen for the White Sox here in spring training when we come back. We'll talk about what Chris, what else Chris gets said about the state of pitching for the franchise. Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet discussions are on the way. And, of course, um, we've got some conversation about what Rob Manfred is going to be up to come February of 2029 because he announced he will not be commissioner. He's stepping away after January of 2029. This will be his final term. So what's next for baseball over these next five years? What will Rob Manfred be presiding over in this next half a decade? That's on my mind. I think it's on a lot of baseball fans' minds as well. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, sign up to become a White Sox insider and get special offers, single-game ticket presales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. Welcome back to the show. When we went to break, told you we'd get into the bullpen side of things. The White Sox making two minor league free agent additions that may well impact the back end of the White Sox bullpen. But before we do, we started talking about the Mike Moustakis deal, the uh, minor league invites, the minor league deal with Mike Moustakis, $2 million to Mike if he makes the opening day roster. And it sounds like that is a possibility. He could be the lefty thump for the White Sox, either off the bench or in a kind of semi-utility role or what have you, uh, and push Gavin Sheets for some time on that end of things. But there was a, a signing that happened late Friday that I thought was going to be a White Sox signing. When we started the offseason, I mean, when the World Series came to an end and the Rangers had hoisted the trophy, I, I kind of thought the way things went that Whit Merrifield would be a guy the White Sox would look into early in free agency. He plays second base. He's played some corner outfield. He's a contact-oriented hitter. He is a uh, apparently a solid clubhouse guy. He has some familiarity with both Chris Getz and Pedro Grifol and others in that White Sox front office. And yet, Friday night, the Phillies 
agreed to a deal, reportedly, with Whit Merrifield. It's a one-year, $8 million contract, seven this year, and a million-dollar buyout on an $8 million club option for 2025. So it could be two and 16, but really it's one year and $8 million with that $1 million buyout. Merrifield's 35 years old, kind of a late bloomer, uh, debuted at age 27, came into really his own in 2028, um, steals some bases, 111 bases, um, in from 2017 to 2020, plays a lot. He had the Ironman, the active Ironman streak for a while before missing games. I believe it was in Toronto during the COVID season. Witt was not vaccinated, apparently, and uh, wasn't able to play in Toronto. You'll remember that the Blue Jays, well, the city of Toronto had that, that rule in place. He needed to be vaccinated in order to travel to Toronto. Uh, either way, Merrifield, over the last three seasons, since the start of the 2021 season, the strikeout rate and walk rate have remained low. Witt's never been a real big walk guy, but he's not struck out a lot either. Uh, but he hit about 269 with a 313 on base and a 392 slugging percentage over the last three seasons. A weighted runs created plus of 92. That operates on the same scale. It doesn't encapsulate the same things, but it operates on the same scale as OPS+. plus 100 is league average anything above? You are that percentage above league average. Anything below, you are below that percentage. Did have 94 steals. Um, and defensively, at, at age 35, uh, things have taken a bit of... Uh, uh, it's, it's gone down the, the slide just a little bit. Uh, still good, um, but not great. Not like he has been. Uh, and by some measurements, a little bit below average. Still... A veteran guy at $8 million at a position where either at second base or right field, you figure he could have provided some answers for the White Sox in terms of uh, in terms of playing time and providing some runway for any kind of prospects the White Sox did acquire. Now, it turned out, obviously, they got Zach Deloche and Dominic Flesher in order to, to fill those prospect roles, at least in right field. Um, but Merrifield made some sense, and yet he'll go and join the Phillies. I think most are, are surprised by that. Well, I, I shouldn't say surprised. I think a lot of people had Whit Merrifield ticketed, probably odds-on favorite to head to the White Sox. And I don't think that because Whit Merrifield didn't go to the White Sox doesn't mean that the White Sox can't also uh, make a bit of a splash in free agency still. We've talked about this before, and, and I find it unlikely now. But a guy like Adam Duvall is still out there. You're looking for a corner outfielder who can spell you in center a little bit and provide some home run power. And if you're in the situation where the White Sox, and it seems like they may be, where the White Sox approach the trade deadline, a little bit out of it in the central, and are looking to trade some veterans, you know, maybe a Dylan Cease trade uh, comes around deadline time as opposed to prior to the season, Adam Duvall would absolutely, assuming he plays the way he's played while healthy over the last two, three years, would absolutely be a guy that teams would look to add. I, I think there are opportunities here for the White Sox, still in free agency, maybe not a whole bunch, but certainly one or two, to spend a little money and perhaps recoup that financial value, that actual cash value, by way of getting prospects back if you choose to deal them. I mean, your worst-case scenario is that some of the young kids that you've been able to bring in or have been drafting and raising, in the case of Colson Montgomery, are able to push these veterans off their spots at some point late in the year, and then you've got a great problem. You've got a, a veteran who can help show them the way and a young kid who shows a lot of promise. That's exactly where the White Sox want to be. If they can do those things by deadline time, you know, by late July, early August, then you've got a chance to recoup some prospects too. 
You know, the White Sox have cut payroll here over the last, you know, from, from last year to this year, something, by the way, of 40 or $50 million. It kind of depends on who makes the roster. Obviously, you know what I mean? Like, the opening day payroll is $2 million more if Mike Moustakis makes the club. So it's difficult to say exactly what that's going to be right now. But when you've got some flexibility, and that's all I mean to say in terms of the cash side of things, when you've got some flexibility, I like the idea, and a lot of teams have engaged in this recently, of, a, of, of paying for prospects. You know, it's, let's say, it's just play with the idea here. Let's say you sign Adam Duvall for $14 million, a one-year deal for $14 million. Maybe like this Whit Merrifield deal, you've got a $1 million buyout for the second year, so that makes it 16 mil. I think if you valued, right, if you just did the, the wins above replacement value for a prospect that you might be able to get in a trade like that, six years of control for prospect, you know, unnamed prospect at $16 million outlay for Adam Duvall plus the money you're going to pay this prospect, plus the money you're going to pay this prospect over the six, I mean, it's, I think you're saving money. I think that's a it's a good purchase if you get the right prospect, and it's probably still worth your time to speculate at that kind of money. Yeah, I, I don't love talking about players like they're assets, you know, like they're a, a mutual funds or anything like that. These they're, they're people after all, but front offices do have to talk about them like they're assets at times. And I know these kinds of conversations go on in front offices, or at least you know the smarter version of however I'm doing it. But the basic idea of what we're talking about here, too. Anyway, let's get into the bullpen like we talked about. The White Sox on Tuesday signed veteran right-handers Corey Kniebel and Dominic Leone to minor league deals. Kniebel did not pitch last season. He's had shoulder issues uh, over the course of his career. You'll remember him, I would guess, as a former Brewers closer. Kniebel had a couple of good years, broke in in 2014, uh, and as I mentioned, did not pitch last year. But Kniebel... Had himself uh, 39 saves in 2017. Injuries, I think, shortened his 2018 campaign. And so I think that's the emergence of Josh Hader there as well. So Knievel's your closer for the Brewers as a 25-year-old. And then in 2018, um, in the back end of that bullpen, you've got Knievel, you've got Josh Hader, you've got Jeremy Jeffress and Dan Jennings. You're seeing a bullpen that was able to you know, push an all-star closer which he was in 2017, off his spot a little bit. Certainly, certainly dealing with injuries didn't help him much either. Pitched for the Dodgers in 2021 and the Phillies in 2022, as I mentioned. His last, I call it a full season, he pitched in 46 games in 2022. He had an ERA plus of 117, so pretty decent, and was good for the Dodgers in 25 and two-thirds innings of work in 2021. But the, the shoulder issue is the issue, right? Uh, uh, he's got a lot of injuries over the course of his career. Uh, ankle, shoulder, I think he had a, a wrist issue at some point, briefly too. He walks a lot, went on, but has a lot of missed bats and bad contact. I, I mean, it's a very good strikeout rate. A career ERA of three twenty six. And a 31.8% strikeout rate in a little over 300 innings of Major League Baseball. Uh, Kniebel, if he's if he's going, if he's healthy, could absolutely be a guy that Pedro Grafal looks at and says, you know, first save of the season, this will be Corey Kniebel's. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. This bullpen has gone through as much change 
as any. Really, the entire pitching infrastructure has gone through a whole lot of change. If you start with Brian Bannister and work your way all the way down, yes, there are some guys that were here over the last few seasons, Dylan Cease, Ethan Katz, Michael Kopech, names you know. Um, But the roles seem to be changing some here, even for the guys that were in place. And for the rest of that pitching staff, boy, it's I mean, it's going to be a whole lot of new names that we're going to have to learn, right? Whether it's Mike Soroka, whether it's Jared Schuster, whether it's Eric Fetty, whether it's down in the bullpen with Prelander Baroa or Jordan Leisure or even Nick Nestrini. Who knows? Uh, obviously, a lot of people have starting aspirations for Nick Nestrini, the arm, the right-hander that they brought in from the Dodgers in the Lance Lynn trade. Uh, but it, it, it may be the case that he's able to break in as a reliever or a, a long guy as much as anything else. And, of course, you've got the Garrett Crochet of it all, too. We'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to what White Sox general manager Chris Getz had to say earlier on in the week. It kind of, I don't know, threw a wrench in, in what you might think the rotation is going to be. But let's get to Leon, 32 years old, Mets, Angels, and Mariners in 2023, a 467 ERA, 23% strikeout rate. Just call it a 12% walk rate in 54 innings. He's had better seasons, no doubt about it was a fairly reliable reliever last year, even if he did ply his trade in three different spots and, and not have his best season. Uh, last year, or the last year that he pitched really well, like really well with 2021, he threw 53 and two-thirds for the Giants and tallied a 151 ERA. He was absolutely lights out in 2021 he is a right-hander 5'10 215 drafted by the Mariners in the 16th round come out of Clemson did Dominic Leone I I would think you know between some of the other veteran arms that we've we've mentioned here in this bullpen mix that Leone and Kniebel are guys you're going to have to get to know John Brebbia obviously signing the the major league contract shows that the organization has a lot of faith in him. Tim Hills, the new lefty, kind of taking on the Aaron Bummer role, I would guess. But the White Sox have a few arms here. Tuki Toussaint, Shane Drohan, and Garrett Crochet among them. And Jimmy Lambert, too, but to a, lesser, a different degree. Those are guys that could start, in Crochet's case, definitely wants to start, but may not have starting spots in the rotation. The White Sox have, as it looks right now, a couple of different Long guys, long relievers, which is cool for me because when I was a kid growing up, you had the rotation, and and you know fans a generation older than I am are much more used to this, and fans a generation younger than I am, or this is almost a foreign concept. You'd have the guy who would come out of the bullpen, make a spot start here or there, but whenever your starter got tuned up in the third. This guy would come in, pitch four or five innings. Didn't matter how many runs he gave up. It was just kind of like a start day for him. He's going to be in there until you get to the seventh. And then if you're in it, you leverage the bullpen. You bring the big guys. And if you're not, you bring the bottom part of the bullpen. Some of the younger kids are going to work. A long reliever is how, or I guess just the, the better way to put it, having a long reliever was how major league teams kind of constructed their pitching staffs for longer than not. I mean, the whole idea of you know short relievers and all this other kind of stuff relative to the whole history of baseball is a fairly new concept. And long relievers, it used to be as well, were guys, prospects in a lot of cases, that would come up maybe into a veteran squad, a squad that had, your, had their five starters, 
But you know, maybe this would apply to a Nick Nostrini, perhaps. Maybe the, the White Sox have five guys going well. Nick Nostrini might have been, you know, back in the eighties, uh, the long reliever that goes four at a time, maybe once a week, and in relief. And that's how you work your way into the rotation next year. It's kind of your audition spot. I like the throwback, but what I like more than anything else, especially with all the new rules around bullpen usage and roster spots and all this kind of stuff, more versatile relievers is better. You know, I, I think gone are the days of having just five and six one-inning specialists in your bullpen. I, I think we're seeing that more and more. I think we're also seeing more teams be willing to look away from the traditional closer role. That's not to say that they don't exist, but even that you know that fire-breathing closer at the end of the ball game, your Liam Hendricks, for instance, in ideal situations could come in in the seventh if that's where the game's on the line and put out that fire. I love that idea of bullpen construction. I think it takes it takes a practiced hand, both as a pitching coach and manager and, and front office, to be able to say to these guys, you don't have set roles. Your role is to get the outs I put in front of you and, and make that a goal, a carrot for your organization and let them know that you know even though I can't look at you and say you've got the seventh, you're critical to this organization. You're critical to this pitching staff, and we're counting on you to get the outs we assign to you, right? I, mean, I, I think that's a, that's a mindset that absolutely can be taught. I'm not saying every pitcher can take to that mindset. You've got to find the right guys. But it can be taught to, I think, upcoming pitchers, and it can be found in, in, in some pitchers around the game. And I think the White Sox are kind of assembling a handful that can take that and run with it. So let's kind of a look at the White Sox bullpen as it stands right now. We're going to learn a lot more once the Cactus League gets going. When we come back, we'll talk about Chris Getz and what he had to say regarding two White Sox pitchers that still want to be starters, but maybe running out of time to prove that they can be. We'll talk about Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox games are better together. Reconnect with your group at Guaranteed Rate Field this season. No matter the occasion, we have a variety of areas that are sure to meet your needs. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups or call 312-674-1000. A lot to get to here in the show. Talked about the minor league signings of Mike Moustakis and Corey Kniebel and Dominic Leone. Talked about Whit Merrifield heading to the Phillies. A little bit of roster construction this afternoon as well. But we've got some hardcore news. Uh, quite frankly, some news that I'm a little bit out of my depth on, only in as much as I don't really understand how the city of Chicago's taxes work. I'm going to have to do some homework, it looks like, uh, because that kind of politics, that kind of governmental apparatus, that kind of, I don't know, math has entered into your baseball era. We've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about the reported plans or the, uh, yeah, I guess reported plans, the best way to put it, um, by those from the Daily Herald and from the Sun-Times and from the Trib and from Crane's Chicago Business about the potential new White Sox ballpark in the 78, the 
well, I guess it's not the next neighborhood in Chicago yet, but they want to be. Um, and the White Sox are now, according to Cranes, prepared to put in for some public money in order to build that stadium. Uh, the report came out in Crane Chicago Business late in the afternoon on Friday. The White Sox are reportedly prepared to ask for a billion in public funding from the state to construct that stadium. There would not be new taxes. I'll, I'll read you the quote. The two, the White Sox and related Midwest, this is from the Crane's report, are bullish they can win state support by arguing the stadium subsidies will bring along billions more in private investment and the deal is structured in a way to not require new or increased taxes. There is a 2% hotel occupancy fee that goes to the ISFA, the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority, um, for a whole bunch of different things, including the White Sox Guaranteed Great Field Annual Debt Service, that they want to reappropriate. I, I guess there's a an, an opening in the timing, the window of, of those funds, where they can be reallocated, I suppose. Still learning exactly how all of these things work. And we'll talk to some people as we get closer and closer to this becoming a, a real thing as opposed to something that is reported still. Also in this Cranes report is that the White Sox have not officially met with the Illinois governor. That's J.B. Pritzker, though that would absolutely be something that is, uh, I would guess, on the docket if things move forward. And remember, too, this isn't something that's necessarily imminent. You know, This is uh, something that's a little bit down the line. Also of note in this report, and if you've been following you know, the, the daytime talk shows, whether it's uh, Cap and Jay Hood or Carmen Yurk or Waddle and Sylvia or Black and Abdallah, been talking a lot about the reported new Bears stadium, the idea that they bought Arlington Heights and now maybe thinking about heading back to the lakefront, maybe even, you know, maybe even Soldier Field, redecorating Soldier Field and, and you know, I don't know, reconstituting that as their football stadium. They would, I assume, want public money, the Bears. It doesn't look like, according to this report from Cranes, that there could be both, that there is enough funds to get to both teams. So there's a little bit of jockeying going on here, if indeed these reports are accurate, and this is something the White Sox are interested in. Um, it is, uh, it's it's quite the, the chess game, I think. Oftentimes, building stadiums like this becomes a public realm, becomes a, a kind of political matter because of the funds involved. I, I don't know where things are going to end up, obviously. We'll see if this is offer number one and offer number two is something different, or I guess request number one and request two is different. A lot of things could change down the line. You you just don't want to end up in a situation like things are in, in Oakland slash Las Vegas slash Sacramento. I, I don't know if you've seen, but apparently Sacramento is the – is the front runner, I guess, for having the athletics from 2026 until 2029 when their ballpark in Las Vegas, if they can build the ballpark in Las Vegas, is done. You don't want to be in a situation like that. So you start this process early. You involve state governments and city governments. Um, it is a lot of money, obviously, um, and that's something that's going to be a point of contention. It always is um, when you get to that kind of dollar amount. That's going to be a contentious topic uh, in the politic realms of the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. So that's kind of the latest on that end of things. Um, back to spring training, and this is you know a little bit more, I don't know, fun for me, I guess. Fun for many. Not for baseball players. Not for the pros. I don't know if you've read this but the uh, or, or seen this. The uniforms in spring training are apparently very different. 
I'll give you the thumbnail version of it. This is the first year that Nike and a company called Fanatics have teamed together to make the jerseys. Nike essentially licenses another outfit to outfit the outfits. They Fanatics makes the thing, and Nike kind of designs them, gives them the templates. But they're not the same as they used to be, these spring training uniforms. The patches aren't really patches. Um, there's a lot more breathability in the uniform. Some would tell you flimsiness in the uniform. Uh, the lettering's not the same size or distance apart, which just looks really odd. I've decided there's been a lot of uproar about this from individual players uh, who have put these things on and, and messed around with them yet. I'm reserving judgment. For seeing them first, obviously, I mean, I've seen pictures and everything, but I don't know that you're going to really get the feel for it, like really get the feel for if they're annoying or not to your fan eyes until you see them in a game. And also, I'm reminding myself that just like the spring training hats that came out a couple of years ago that looked great, and then the spring training hats that came out the year after that and did not look great, that these are these are spring training uniforms and we'll see if the regular season uniforms have the same issues or, or whether they're just the same old uniforms we've come to know and love on the south side over these last you know decades. I, I'm hopeful that Nike and Fanatics kind of get this thing right and we look like baseball players come opening day, right, that everybody looks like they're supposed to look at 35th and Shields. I, I think it's going to be weird if they don't. It's going to take some getting used to if you can get there. Um, I, make no mistake, I mean, baseball is a – there's tradition in this sport. And while we've changed a lot, whether it's be rules changes or the way the game's played, the baseball itself, all this other kind of stuff over the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it, the the look doesn't change all that often. I mean, the individual uniforms do, and the the fashion of the time does. But what is – what looks big league doesn't. And if players are talking about these kind of looking like, you know, beer league softball uniforms more than big league uniforms, that's the issue. And I'm hoping that's not going to be the case come opening day. When we come back, we'll talk about what Chris Getz had to say and what Rob Manfred had to say. Both the head of the White Sox baseball operations and the head of baseball himself had updates for you. We'll get to when we come back on White Sox. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly, our final segment of the afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us this Saturday. I'll go down to spring training this next week. Hopefully bring back a lot of good interviews for next Saturday's show. In case you missed any show, you can download the ESPN Chicago app and download each and every White Sox Weekly show. Take a listen to a lot of the great guests we've had. Kylie McDaniel was our guest last week. He is a prospect writer for ESPN. We went through uh, like the bulk of the system. Kylie was nice enough to spend maybe a half an hour hanging out on the show and talking about the White Sox prospects and minor league system and you know breakout players and Colson Montgomery and all that stuff. It was terrific. That was last week's show. If you missed it, or if you just kind of want to go back to it during the course of spring training when we see some of these prospects come up and play Cactus League ball, highly recommend it. And that's not just to boost our download numbers. This is because Kylie's great, and the information was fantastic. You can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. 
Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social today. They are at White Sox everywhere you look. In fact, if you go look, you'll see the uniforms we were talking about in the last segment. They're kind of, well, they're different looking. I don't know that I love them yet, but I've not thrown them out yet either. White Sox general manager Chris Getz talked to reporters on Monday. You have heard the sound by now. You've heard him say uh, what he's had to say whether it be the very beginning of his general manager tenure in the offseason saying, I don't like the team, and working all the way down to talking this last time around um, about the lack of defense the White Sox have had over the last couple of years and that affecting their ability, in Chris's mind, to sign big-time pitchers to, or to sign the pitchers that they wanted. I guess he didn't necessarily say big-time pitchers, but that it affected their reputation with potential free agent pitching, and that matters to guys. You know, if you if you're if you're a top tier starter, looking at two different teams, and, you know, let's call it the 2021 off season, right? I, I'm making up a number here, but White Sox are are coming off a division win. You know, they've got themselves a playoff appearance. They're looking to bolster their pitching staff, perhaps. And you're a free agent looking at either the White Sox or a team that's you know comparable and better defensively. You, I think, would see that better defensive team as a better fit for you. You want your numbers to be your numbers. You don't want to be victimized by a defense that isn't able to pick it up and throw it over as often as that other team. So it matters. The the two things that he talked about in terms of pitching that really kind of got me surprised, and I, I'll still have to see what happens here. I don't know that I'm completely sold on the fact that Garrett Crochet is – starter eligible or penciled into starts or or big league eligible even. When I say eligible, I just mean able to make it to the bigs based on the inning load that he hasn't been able to acquire and accomplish here over the last couple of years, whether it be by injury or by the team designating him a reliever when he broke in in 2020. Chris Getz has said that you know they're not taking starts in the bigs off the table for Garrett Crochet this year, and maybe even early on if spring goes well for him. How that balance out the rest of the rotation, quite frankly, I'm not doing that math yet. I'm not making my starting five in the rotation yet. I don't know that what got said here is is so convincing to me. Not that I, I think Getz is lying necessarily. I think there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for a guy like Garrett Crochet, who's making that transition from reliever to starter, um, a lot of things that have to happen in order to have him start that first time around in the rotation or shoot even that fifth time around in the rotation if he makes some minor league starts. I would be really surprised by that. And quite frankly, I'd be happy to be surprised by that because that means Crochet looks really good. And that means things are going well. And that means the innings load is is... Um, and that means he's healthy, and the innings load seems like something he can handle. So I'm I'm happy to be surprised, and I guess in a way just be wrong, because that means better pitching for the White Sox and, and some interesting look from a guy who's a former first-round pick in Garrett Crochet, and has had some really dynamic stuff, even when it hasn't been at the top-tier velo that he had when he broke in as a rookie in 2020. That does sound like... Uh, you know, it's it's going to be Chris Flexen in a starting rotation spot. Chris has talked about that before, and it sounds like Michael Kopech is going to get a run at the rotation spot as well. Uh, things did not end in the rotation for Kopech last year, as you likely know. Apparently he's dropped a good amount of weight, something like 20 pounds. Michael was really muscled up in the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's always been that way. I remember talking to him 
in spring training the spring after the Sox traded for him from the Red Sox and just kind of talking about the you know the workload that he put on the body, the idea he had about what size he needed to be, all this other kind of stuff. He was really into that <clears throat> whole physical aspect of things, as, as you should be. Um, but now a lighter and hopefully less injury-prone Michael Kopech is able to post for the White Sox in 2024. He's had the knee cyst taken care of, and hopefully the shoulder and velocity and everything else holds together. I still think there's a starter in Michael Kopech, and I'd love to see it in 2024. Lastly here, as we wrap up, Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that 2029, January 2029, in fact, will be the month in which he steps away as Commissioner of Major League Baseball. That'll be the end of his current five-year term. There is another CBA coming up in a couple of years for Major League Baseball and the Players Association, or Manfred Wilhelm, the Major League Baseball side of that, um, according to his plans, serving as commissioner over the next five years. He'd also said that he'd like to see a free agent signing period enacted over the winter. You know, we're still waiting on some really big names to sign, Boris clients, all of them. Um, and it sounds like baseball would like a two-week period, a lot like NFL free agency, where there's a deadline and a flurry of activity leading up to the deadline. I don't know that the – well, in fact, I know – that the Players Association will not fly, will not go with that. Uh, they've said as much. I don't know how you make that work in a non-salary-capped league. You could just keep signing players. What what penalty would you impose to a player who didn't sign at the right time? You know, like if, if you're – let's just pick Cody Bellinger, who hasn't signed yet, and you just don't want to sign at the end of those two weeks, why would you penalize – how would you penalize that player and or team that signs that player? I'm sure there's ways to do it. I don't know that it should be all that painful. I'd like to see a more active winter in Major League Baseball as much as the next person, as much as the next baseball fan. I just don't know that we've got the right set of carrots and sticks, the right kind of incentives and, I, I guess, punishments or disincentives uh, to make that happen. And I think more germane to the conversation is kind of fixing the, the rookie pay scale, the, the young kids' pay scale, and, and providing that as a resource, I think is going to bring a middle class back into the game as opposed to kind of what we're seeing right now, big-time contracts for the very, very best, and then everybody else just kind of signs for what's left. There, there aren't a lot of that mid-tier, that middle-class player anymore in Major League Baseball. It's it's bifurcating as much as, um, as, much as real life is in some ways. Uh, Manfred also said that he's hoping expansion – will have a plan in place before he leaves in January 2029. He'd long said that getting the A's relocated or a new stadium or whatever and then having the Rays situation resolved was on the priority list before expansion were to take place, and it looks like he's got one and maybe two of those things done with the Rays set for a new stadium and the A's still messing around with all that stuff. That's going to be a high priority. But expansion could be next. I'm excited about that. It's been a long time since baseball has expanded. I was a little kid when it happened. And I look forward to two more, maybe even more, marketplaces coming into the game, maybe even as early as 2030. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Jack McGrath, our producer. I'll be in Glendale this next week and bring back everything I've learned to next week's White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000. Have a great day.